you're out in the lobby and you can hear my voice, you're late. Good morning. My name's Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad that you guys have joined us this morning. Beautiful day, isn't it? Beautiful weather starting to come into that perfect time of our year. The Kind of the crown jewel of the south is the fall. Super excited for that. Listen, if you didn't know about this, today is a really cool Sunday. We've got transformed lives that are going to be baptized and testifying to that in believer's baptism. So the waters are drawn. And I'm just going to put it out here as sort of a kind of a, hey, if, if God is calling you towards believer's baptism, we got the water. So we're good. You're good. You come and talk to me. You come and talk to Pastor Steve. We would love to have conversations with you about what it means to follow Christ. And if it's in believer's baptism, we would love to accommodate that conversation and see how that goes. So just let me open up in a word of prayer. Um, and then after that, we'll just have you stand as we get a chance to worship together. The Lord, welcome to our service this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you for gathering people. Lord, by your just your perfect righteous hand. And God, you're so good about being able to gather folks in a place like this to be able to make much of our King and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We want to make much of you in this gathering this morning with the testimonies of baptism, the lifting up of our voices in worship, the preaching of your word, Lord, the fellowship of the saints. We thank you, Lord, for what you're going to be doing in the hearts of everybody here, not just the ones that are doing things on stage, but really all of us in community, Lord. How, Holy Spirit, you are invited to be able to work inside of our lives, Lord, where perhaps maybe there's things that we're struggling in and with, and we need to be able to confess it, to turn really from even the sin that's probably locking some of us down, give it to you, trust you, follow you. And God, to be able to just rejuvenate our faith with you, Lord, may this be a day like that. Lord, we just celebrate the fact that we can come together and make much of our King and our Savior. We love you, and we look forward to what you're going to do this morning with us in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us, please, as we worship together?
sing this with us this morning. There's no God like Jehovah. 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 There's no God like Jehovah, there's no God like Jehovah. Behold, He comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun, at the trumpet call. Lift your voice, it's a year of jubilee, and out of Zion's hill salvation comes. Sometimes it's at the, at the place of an ocean. Sometimes it's at a river or a stream. 
I've been in a baptism where I've been able to see it happen in an inflatable little kiddie pool, um, a, a feeding trough that was converted into a baptismal. Portable baptistries like this. I even was able to do a baptism in a, dank, uh, a, a dunk tank one time. So it's just neat to see how God will move upon the heart. But here's the thing that's the same with all of them is that it's a visible testimony to what God had done on the inside of those individual lives, right? That it's a testimony that His grace was sufficient to be able to reach their sinful condition, to be able to then pull them into His love by being able to say, you know what? You're convinced that I'm enough, that Jesus was enough, and His death, His burial, and His resurrection for them. And then the commission is really what is at stake here for us as a church, as us as a people of God, as a family of God. As Jesus would even say to the 11 disciples when they went up to the Galilee mountain and they were there and they worshiped him and they even doubted, but then Jesus came to him and he said, hey, listen, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he says this, and surely as you do this and you're teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And so the question begs to ask, do we ever stop the baptism? And the answer is absolutely not. We continue to seek that out because we know it's the evidence of God's grace as he's taking somebody from death to life. He's taking them from darkness to light. He's being able to put them, become an outsider to an insider, under wrath to now righteousness. You see how wonderful that is, the testimony of that. And many of you in this room can testify to that's how it was for you. You get to celebrate how that is now for these candidates. And I want to put this out here for you for a second. Maybe... Maybe even by the end of this service, you can come up to Steve or myself or Kelly or any one of our leaders and you would say, you know what? I need to be baptized. Maybe it's not today. Maybe it's next week. We'll keep this going. But if that's you, don't let something like time or, or I don't know, whatever it is that's in your way, stop you or prevent you from experiencing grace of God in believers' baptism. So we're excited. We're going to get a chance to celebrate this. Joe, come on up, dude. You're the first. Um, yeah, you just go up there, and uh, Pastor Steve says, be careful on that first step, because that'll just send you straight through to the other side. So go ahead, and you can look out to your friends and family out there. So what's really cool about this and opportunity for me is uh, this is my son. Yeah. And it's been neat to see out of our 10 children them go forward in believer's baptism. And it's really been by God's grace. It's nothing that mom or dad are capable of actually doing, but only the Holy Spirit can do. And so, Joe, we're excited for you. I mean, there's people online. You've got family members watching from as far away as the, the, the foreign country of California. And, uh, and so 
we're just excited for you here. And um, let me just ask you a couple questions if I can, just by way of, you know, we talked about this, you're nervous. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty nervous. So first of all, are, are you a Christ follower? Are you a Christian? And could you tell us a little bit about when that happened in your life? Uh, November 5th of last year. Um, so I was called into my bedroom. Naturally, I thought I was in trouble. For not knowing what for, though. But um, he just called me in, and we started to talk about, like, just Bible verses and stuff. And that's when he asked me if I wanted to come to Christ. That's when I said yes. Yeah. So cool. So cool. So we've been talking then since that time just about following Jesus. We've been talking about him being his Lord and his Savior and uh, saving you from your sin. And then not just realizing that when he does this baptism before you, but that's a constant relationship. That's a continual growing in Christ. And uh, what would you hope that your baptism can communicate to this church, this group of people? That I'm dying to my sins and taking God's hand. Okay. Well, my son, <laughs> it's tough, <laughs> but it's good. My brother in Christ, upon your public testimony and your faith in Jesus, it's so much of my privilege to be able to baptize you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that you're going to be buried with Christ to rise and walk in a newness of life. become a brother. That's what you saw this morning. Uh, it's been several months ago now. I got a call from this young lady standing beside me. She said, hey, my fiance and I are getting married and um, would you like to do our wedding ceremony? And I said, wow, 
I'd be quite honored to do that. I think you're getting married like uh, August. No, wait a minute, it's October the, the what? The seventh, that's right. I'm just kidding, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, I've got it on my calendar. <laughs> so anytime I have the privilege and honor of marrying a couple, I always spend a good deal of time in premarital counseling. One of those things that we talk about is you can't really have the best family situation apart from having God at the center of your marriage. So as we were talking, I asked them about their relationship with the Lord. So, oh, by the way, this is Casey Scott, and this is Austin Strickland. And when I was talking with them, I said, have you ever asked Christ to come into your heart? And they both affirmed that, and I said, okay, great. Man, what about baptized? Have you ever followed him in baptism to express it to the entire world? I said, no. I said, how about, why don't we do that? I can't think of a better way of a few weeks from now of us standing before God of how you're starting your relationship this morning, walking, affirming your relationship with him through baptismal waters. Casey, have you accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord? Yes, I have. And Austin, you as well. I'm gonna let you climb in here. You can go over the side or you can use the steps, whatever you wanna do. <laughs> you're tall enough, you just step one step in, you can do it. Casey, upon your profession of faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and in obedience to his command, I baptize you, now my sister, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. told me you played basketball. Come on, dude. Hang on. You guys got to have family here sitting up here. It's a great day. Austin, upon your profession of faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in obedience to his command, my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. By your stripes I heal, by your death I live. The power of sin is overcome, it is finished, it is done. By your stripes I'm healed, by your death I live. I'm healed by your death I live. 
bless this time, this sweet time. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Feels pretty good to be in church this morning, does it not? All the family and friends who came to support Joe and Austin and Casey, thank you for being here this morning. You make us look good. Don't raise your hands on this question. You'll know why in just a second why I say don't raise your hands. Um, but I'm curious. Actually, I'm tempted to let you raise your hands, but don't, don't, all right? So as I ask this, ask this question, I'm wondering, have you ever spent a night in jail? Hmm. You ever been locked up? Have you ever heard the sound of that big, heavy, still door close behind you, shut you in? And as you stand on the other side of that door, you realize that you have no ability in your own accord, your own ability to get out. I mean, if you have, I'm certainly glad that you're here this morning and you were let out at some point in time, and I'm not here to judge you by any means if you have. That's uh, past, and we don't dwell in the past as believers, right? We move forward. But if you've been locked up, I, it's kind of curious just to what your mind went through during that time. I've never been locked up, I'll admit that. I have never been locked up, at least not been inside of a prison for something that I did. I have gone inside prisons before on a couple of occasions, and I remember very vividly hearing that door slam behind me. And even though I knew that in a short period of time I would be allowed to, to leave, uh, I remember how intimidating it was to hear the doors close. And knowing my freedom, even in those hours that I would be there, was at the mercy of someone else getting me out from behind those walls and those doors that I could not do in and of myself. Certainly for me, the fear of being locked up has served as a deterrent for not breaking the law. Now, I guess that sounds like the only reason that I don't go out and hold somebody up for money is so I won't go to jail. I, actually, there are many more reasons as to why I would not do that. But for me, that is a deterrent. I do not want to be locked up in jail. Anybody with me? Yeah, unfortunately, we have a lot of people that it's not a deterrent in our society. That's a story for another time. But I would be so afraid if I had to go and spend a night in prison because of something that I did. About a two-hour drive from Denver, Colorado, in a small rural town, 
there's this place called Florence, and in this town founded in the 1800s stands America's most secure penitentiary. It's the U.S. Penitentiary Administrative Maximum Facility, otherwise known as ADX. Is anyone familiar with this place? You can raise your hands on this. You, you, you familiar with it? How do you know? <laughs> it's nicknamed the Alcatraz of the Rockies. In fact, it is the only U.S. is, is the U.S.'s only supermax federal supermax prison that has housed some of the world's most dangerous criminals. Prisoners like, um, we're talking serial killers and terrorists and mobsters and cult leaders and drug kingpins and, and those deemed too, si too violent to be out uh, among us living in the general population. And they live in near uh, complete solitary confinement all of them only allowed to be out of their cells. I think it's a seven foot by 12 foot rectangular box, one hour a day, 23 hours a day they stay there. They only have a single four inch slit in, cut in there for a window, that's it. The likes of Mexican Kingpin El Chapo Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, Oklahoma City bomber Terry Nichols, FBI agent turned spy Robert Hansen, and uh, the man who's responsible for you having to take your shoes off at a TSA checkpoint, Richard Reed, have all been inmates at this facility. Ironically, no one has ever escaped from this prison. ADX is a well-secured prison. Because of the conditions there, this facility has been extremely controversial about uh, surrounding human rights and uh, solitary confinement and the effect it's had on the mental health of those people who have stayed there. According to an article I read, Robert Hood, a former warden of ADX, told the New York Times in 2015, this place is not designed for humanity. It's a pretty bleak description. I do not wish to see the inside of this prison. Don't want to go there. But as harsh... And dangerous as this place sounds, I don't think it can compare to the conditions that two men found themselves in when they were jailed in a prison in Philippi. You know who I'm talking about? If you don't, I'll tell you in just a minute. Because this morning I want to talk about these two men and how they were imprisoned in this incredible place that is far worse than ADX is in Colorado. In fact, what they have in Colorado is, is very humane compared to the conditions that Paul and Silas found themselves who became prisoners in this jail. I want us to look at this story. But in this story, we also hear about another man who works there as a guard. 
an ordinary man. He had a family to support. He needs a job. It's not a glamorous job, but it's a job that would put food on his table. He goes to work one ordinary day, or so he thought. But that day would change his life because of the encounters that he had. The routine work of the day, two preachers get locked up, and his life has changed because of their relationship with Jesus. However, long before that happens, he responds to his prisoners in a very unfriendly way. I've entitled this sermon, The Jailer. If you want to turn to your Bibles, we're going to pick up on the story in Acts chapter 16, starting with verse 16. And I'm going to do you a favor because it's already 1043. I've decided that I would early on uh, divide this sermon into two parts, okay? So you're still going to get out of here by 1230, so we're good. What's that, you, Eric? You got water all over the carpet up here. <laughs> I mean, it's soaked. It's soaked. It's look. Hey, you know what? I'll be happy to see water on this carpet any Sunday. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. I just kind of let that sink in, this woman. She's a slave. She's fortune-telling. She's in that world that you, no one should go into, even in today's time. It's a very dangerous place to be. She's owned by these men making money for them by doing what she does a young girl probably she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved she kept this up for many days finally Paul became so annoyed which doesn't sound exactly right you know it's like why would he be so annoyed at the fact that she's following around, following him around, yelling out, these men can tell you how to be saved. Why would she be so annoyed at that? Well, there's a lot of speculation about it, but likely she doesn't have the best reputation. And there's not a lot of credibility to her following them around as if they've got some sort of spirit kind of uh, bad karma or whatever you want to call it going on with them so he gets annoyed by it uh, <clears throat> he became so annoyed he turned around and he said to the spirit well there's really the real story there he recognizes this woman's sick she's got a problem she's filled with a demon Spirit, And he says, no fanfare, just in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. 
And at that moment, the Bible says, the spirit left her. And when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They've upset the men who were making money off of her. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city in an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd always happens when somebody does, gets them ginned up. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them, watch this, to be stripped. That means they got naked and beaten with rods. And after they had, severely, had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Jail time. Not just closed behind doors, but in stockade. Jail time for the apostles had become pretty common around these days, not because of them doing criminal acts against other people. They weren't out committing crimes against everyday people like stealing and murdering. But they were being locked up because of a man who had a profound impact on their lives, and they were compelled to tell others about this man who had made such a difference. And as usual, it upset the powers that be. And the ones who were in charge had the ability to punish them for their actions thinking that if we throw them in prison, that will silence them, and we won't have to worry about them upsetting everyone in our town anymore. So we're just locked them up. And incredible events happened when the disciples were serving time. The Bible seems to imply that the apostles rarely met a jail that could hold them. It's not to say that they escaped prison every, from every jail that they had been placed in. It's not just that, you know, they would go in and God would just, he, he, he had a reason either for, for them to be there. And often they would be let go miraculous, miraculously. For instance, in Acts chapter 12, we're told of King Herod had Peter thrown into prison, but... The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. I mean, think how bad that would be. We were bound with chains, and the sentry stood guard at the entrance, and suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell, as the Scriptures say. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Incredible that that could happen. You believe it? Yeah, certainly. And the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. You know what? That was a pretty weak response on whether or not you believe that. You believe it? Yes. Well, get with me. I might throw some water on you. 
get you holy. No, that's no holy water in there. Peter did so. He wrapped his cloak around you. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing and really was happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards, came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened them uh, up for them, just opened up. And they went through it, and when they walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left them. My point is this, and kind of telling you that side story. No prison, no jail, no guard or soldier could ever have held any of the apostles of Jesus if God didn't want them to. Back to Paul and Silas. They're the good guys. What have they done wrong? Nothing. They're being punished really for doing the right thing. Have you ever been punished for doing the right thing, the good thing? Maybe not in the sense of being thrown in jail because of it, nothing that harsh. But has a bad thing happened in either your life that it happened because you were doing a good thing? And it cost you in some way, monetarily quite possibly, or through time and effort, possibly a loss in, a loss in the faith and humanity. It's likely that it has. Maybe you came across someone who needed help and you thought, sure, I can help them out. And you thought, I am glad to be able to help you. And at first they were very appreciative and they accepted your help and you both went on your way. Feeling pretty good about that, right? Did a good deed. A few days later, you might get a call from that same person, and they have another situation that has come up, and they want your help out again. And you're thinking, okay, well, I helped you once, but I, I, can, I can do it. You might be a little reluctant. Uh, you might be a little like, wait a minute, where's this going? And you're torn between your good nature and your skepticism. But you really want to help somebody because that's your Christian duty to do so, right? And so you help them out, and, and, but you're still wondering, are they going to start taking advantage of me? You go ahead and help them out. You help them out once, and you start to remember, you know what? We had this conversation about where they were, and they promised me after I helped them the first time, they'd come to church. So maybe if I help them a second time, they will do what they promised to do. And they say, I know I need to be in church. I, I, if you'll just help me, sure, I, I'll, I'll come. But then you don't ever see them again until they call another time. If you could just help me one more time. And it always seems to be this story, because this has happened to me and our staff on several occasions. They almost always say, I got a check coming next Friday. And they may, I don't know. And if you could just help me get to the end, I'll pay you back. 
Oh, and by the way, I'll see you at church on Sunday. I can think of like four situations where as pastor of this church that that's happened to me, at least. I've forgotten others. You know what? I have yet to see them come to church. Maybe you've been in a situation where you were doing good and it cost you something for doing good. It might have caused you to think again when it cost you something, a bad situation happened. And the next time somebody wants to help you wants you to help them out, you think, well, I don't know. Maybe you've heard this saying, I don't know if I have it exactly right, but it goes something like this. This is what happens when you try to do the right thing. You know what I'm saying? Anybody ever been there? You experienced that? Where you might have said something similar to that? <laughs> this always happens when I try to do the right thing. And it seems like it's bad. Admittedly, Paul and Silas, what they were going through was so much more harsh than what we've ever encountered doing that. But maybe, and I don't mean to, to compare, it's not even close, but maybe we get just a sense of what they're feeling while they're being locked up by doing a good thing that kind of backfires. These men had done nothing wrong. And they did a good thing, but out of that, bad happens. which kind of leads me to a point here. We can be following Jesus and end up in what appears to be a bad place by following him. We can be doing everything that we think is right, that we've been taught to do right, and still end up in a mess. You know what I'm saying? Don't fall into the trap that if you decide to become a Christ follower, that you expect everything to go without hitch in your life. It won't happen. That's a prosperity gospel that doesn't work. If we just follow Jesus, everything's going to go just glorious for us. On the other hand... We as Christians in this country, we've had it pretty doggone good. Compared to the rest of the world, we've had it easy. And you know, because we have had it so easy, that makes it very easy to fall into that trap of a prosperity gospel that God's going to, if you get saved or if you follow Christ and you do all these things, you know, he's at your beckoning call and he's waiting for you to call on him and he's going to do whatever. And you know what happens when that doesn't happen? People get mad and upset. Where were you, God? Hmm. We truly have not had to sacrifice much to be a Christian in this country. We don't really know what true persecution looks like yet. As I look back over time, having it so easy as a Christian in our country, we certainly have been blessed. 
But it also, I believe, has caused us in the church to be very soft Christians. Quite possibly, because our following Jesus has been so, I will use the word, fickle. Many have easily fallen away when God did not perform like, he thought, like they thought he should. Nonetheless, when you're serious about following Jesus, you can end up in a bad place. That's what Jesus said. He told us this. In this world, you will have what? Tribulation. Just look at Paul's life. You see all the trouble he had long, you know, he, he summarizes it in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Listen to this. I've worked harder. I've been in prison more frequently, have been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received the, uh, from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, 39, because it was known if 40 were given, you would probably die from it. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been in constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I think he's been in danger. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. He's a man who understands what it means to follow Jesus, that it's going to cost you something. How does he respond? By enjoying the easy life, everything but that. Where's Joe? Joe, there you are. Austin Casey. I want you to know, just because you follow Jesus in the morning baptismal waters doesn't mean that you're not going to encounter trouble. You will. I don't want to mislead you. But I can tell you this. You following Jesus Christ is absolutely the best decision that you've ever made in your life. And it will be worth it. Here's two men trying to do the will of God. They faithfully preached the gospel, freed this woman from this demon possession, but they get brought before the authorities in a kangaroo court. Inhumane, inhumane action of having their clothes stripped off and beaten unmercifully and unjustly. Paul and Silas have done nothing wrong yet. They're thrown in jail. Back to verse 24 of Acts 16. Having received such a charge, the jailer thrust them in the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. That's from the King James Version. It says, 
how they were treated. Puts them inside the inner part of the, sea, of the jail. Do you think he was a friend to Paul and Silas? No, absolutely not. He regards them as criminals. I mean, after all, the entire town had, had condemned these men, these two men, and, and justice has to be served, and, and on his watch, he was going to make sure it was carried out. He puts them in the inner part of the jail. He's not concerned about their mental health. He doesn't go to their cell to open up the stocks and loosen the chains from time to time to see their blood's being cut off. He doesn't go down there to bandage up their wounds or put medicine on their cuts. He didn't go down there just to talk about Jesus or ask them why he was, they were talking about this man. He doesn't do anything in like this because they were his prisoners not his friends and he was going to do his job and do it well it's a big problem for the men of God again let me remind you whose only crime was telling people about Jesus and setting a girl free from the demons that had possessed her. That's it. All this bad treatment. So there's the problem. So we got a pretty good sense of what they're experiencing. It would be terrible if we just left it there. But bear with me just for a moment. Because verse 25 says that Paul and Silas were doing something incredible. They were Wait a minute. They're in pain? They're in prison? They're in stocks? And it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Huh. They were worshiping God in spite of their condition. All this bad that had happened to them, and they, in the jail praying. Wow, what a beautiful time that we've had worshiping this morning. The time of singing and praising and as we do every Sunday it's a, it's a beautiful time that we come together in celebration but I wonder if we had to fight persecution to get into this building and do it would our praise be as magnificent as it was 35 minutes ago. If you were going through a lot of bad stuff because you did a good thing and you were being punished by it harshly in some form that's kind of 
a, a modern-day kind of punishment of society from today, would you be doing what Paul and Silas are doing, praising and singing hymns to God? Is your default when you're going through difficult times to praise and worship God? Can I just tell you that on those occasions when I have found myself in that situation. No, nothing like Paul and Silas. But when I am struggling, it seems like I just can't make it to the next minute. Those times that I stopped and started praying to God, remembering some songs that we have sung on Sunday mornings or finding one somewhere on YouTube. It becomes a very sweet time of taking the focus off of me and my problems and putting them on the one who can do something about it. On Friday, I made a dump run to the convenience center. Not this one across the street. It's not my favorite thing to do because I still live in Nashville. I go to the one that's located off of Ezel Pike. I've got this truckload of junk that I've cleaned out of a couple of my sheds. It's all, all of Lynn's junk that she had. None of it mine. I just pick up a load. I drive in and do the thing. And one of the workers was watching me as I came in, and he motioned for me to come on over here to a certain place. And he did something that normally I don't have happen when I go to the dump. I mean, I've shown up at times with these big, huge refrigerator that I've thrown away, ready to throw away. It's like, just, I'm just kind of have this look on my face. Won't somebody please help me get this? I couldn't even get Lynn to go with me. <laughs> Nobody came to help me, but this guy on this last Friday did. And you know what I started thinking? Shame on me. Why is this guy helping me out? I'll bet you he wants a tip or something. Come on, you'd be thinking that too, right? Don't judge me. So it's going through my mind. How much money do I have in my billfold? Oh, my goodness, I know I had a $100 bill in there. But do I have any smaller denominations, like a five? Because I don't want to give this guy my $100 bill. So he's over there helping me. 
And we got to talking about how nice a day it was. And, and he was using church words like blessed, thankful to be alive, kind of cold for, hey, my friend, where do you go to church? He told me he did. He went, goes to a church in North Nashville. And he asked me if I went to church. <laughs> I said, yes, every Sunday. And then he just kind of naturally slipped out, and I said, I, I, I'm the pastor of the church. It was as if it gave him permission to start telling me about his life, his history. That happens, doesn't it, to us pastors? And I was obliged to listen, was more than happy to, and he shared some things with me, and I asked him his name. And he said, my name is Daryl. At least that's the name I was given. He goes on to say, you see, I don't know my real name because I was left by a dumpster in a shoebox when I was born. I never knew my mom and my daddy. So I was put in foster care, and foster parents gave me the name of Daryl. He told me several other things about his life. Hard, hard, hard life. Where he was from, and yet he would always come back to this about how good God was to him. Then he talked about his daughter. And shared that she suffers with lupus. And people who suffer from lupus, they have good days and they have bad days. But that particular day, on that Friday morning, he had talked with her, and she was having a good day. And after we got the truck unloaded, I asked Daryl if I could pray for him and his daughter. Standing right there beside the dumpster. We had prayer. Uh, and, I, and I'm not telling you this story to draw any attention to me. No, please. Nuh-uh. But every now and then I'd peek with my eyes open to see if he was praying with his eyes open. And the whole time, the couple of times I peeked, he had his eyes closed. He was in prayer. And when I said amen, I looked up. And after I finished, he told me, thank you. And then he said this, now I can make it another hour. Do you know who got blessed by that? Me and Daryl both. The prayer was to God, but Daryl and me got the blessing. It's incredible what happens in prayer and worship. There's always a choice between the two or something else, between prayer and worship, or the other side of that is whining and griping. 
You know what whining and griping gets you? Nothing. What whining and whining and and, what did I say? What whining and griping, that's it, gets you is a continued spiral down a hole of depression. So when bad things happen, Whining and griping won't get you any good. Has it ever done any good for you? I can answer that for you. The answer is no. Usually when you start whining and griping, you know what happens? It kind of draws other people toward you, and they start their whining and griping also. Is that not true? Yes, it is. I'm not going to wait for you to say amen on that one. On the other hand, we have a choice when things are not going the way we want them to. And the appropriate choice is what Paul and Silas were doing, and that was praying and praising God. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads, please. Father, the only response that Paul and Silas had that day, because they couldn't do anything else on their own, nothing was available to them that would help their situation. The only thing they had to do was the appropriate thing, was the good thing, and that was to look to you and pray and praise. And Father, I just pray that that right now would be our, come our default, that place of when we're struggling, when we're hurting, and we realize there's nothing we can do to change the situation we're in except to look to you. And when we do, an incredible thing begins to happen. When we stop and pause and pray to you, we have your attention. And we begin to receive your presence. You know our needs. And even in the midst of a bad thing, we can begin to see good because you're there with us. Father, if there's someone here today that finds themselves in that place where they're struggling right now, Father, may they come to you sincere and honest prayer and ask you to speak into their lives. Right now. We know that you hear our prayer, Father, our request. We know you're capable, more than capable of doing just as an incredible work 
in our lives as happened with Paul and Silas and eventually as we find out in that jailer's life that day. We ask you to speak into our situation. Maybe you're here today and you're just on your knees before God or maybe here in this altar or if you're not able to bow down on your knees here just come and sit in a chair up front and make that request known to God it's something about bringing it here just makes it just seem so much more real maybe you're here for some other decision maybe you need to ask Jesus to come into your life and discover how good it is to follow him or maybe you need to be baptized or make this your church home whatever it is if you right now if you're leading someone to do something in this time of invitation may we respond in obedience in Jesus name we pray Amen. Please stand. Respond. Pass me not, a gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others thou art called. Do not pass me by.
Father, we know that we don't have to be in church to cry out from you. We can cry out to you any time. And you're there to hear us. I'm going to cry out, Father, I pray that other people will pay attention to see how you would speak and work in our lives as we're obedient to you. Thank you for doing this over and over and over and over again. We see the evidence of your work in our lives and in the life of our church. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. May be seated, please. Amen. Thank you guys for singing so well this morning. Danny, come on up. He's going to talk to us a little bit about men's retreat coming up here just around the corner. Okay, men, for you procrastinators, this is it. Today is the last day to make a decision. I know that we have a number of you that are sitting on the fence, and so I'm going to tell you, go ahead and jump on our side, okay? In fact, uh, Lisa reminded me to tell you guys that it's not just all fun and games. We're actually going to do some Bible study. And if you don't want to do the games, I've got something I want to show you. I don't know if you can see this pen. This is a handmade pen that Steve actually made himself. I was going to auction it, but uh, he said he wanted it back. <laughs> hey, if the price is right, go for uh, it. Okay. Give me the money. However, I have my own personal collection now. I've got several of these pens and so part of our activities for the men's retreat we will have our our typical cornhole tournament we'll have canoeing we have turning pins we have sitting around on the porch and just rocking some of you guys like to do that too but uh, it is two weeks from now today's last day john and lewis will be in the back uh, i would encourage you to to sign up okay Thank you, Danny. Appreciate it. Hey, I just want to draw your attention to a date change for Friday Friends. The September meeting will be on the 22nd and not the Thank 29th. So uh, please mark that on your calendars. Also, uh, there are two spots available still for the women's retreat. This is your last opportunity for that as well. Two spots available. If you want to claim one of those spots, ladies, see Lynn. She would be glad to give you some information about that after service. Then I'm giving you a special invitation here. A lot of folks, they go, well, nobody invited me. Well, I'm inviting you here this morning. The uh, ladies' Bible studies both are beginning this week. So, ladies, if you've not already engaged in Bible study, uh, plugged in both of our Bible studies, the wisdom of God and fight back with joy, both of those will be beginning this week, Tuesday night and Wednesday night. So, ladies, it's your personal invitation. You can't say nobody invited you because I did. So come and, and, and be a part of that. If you have any questions about that, you can see Lynn also. She'd be glad to direct you to the right information there. Pastor Steve. Yeah, we want to present to Casey and Austin and Joe. You guys want to come up here with me just real quick? Kind of a surprise here. Yeah, we want to give you a certificate of baptism today. You, uh, help, re, re, this will help you remember this date and how special it was in your life. And 
Years from now, you can show it to your grandkids and say, on that day, I was baptized at Sunset Hills Baptist Church. It was a great day for family. Would you again welcome these guys? Thank you so much. Bless you guys. Joe, God bless you. Yeah. Thanks. All right, it's uh, 11.25. I got you out an hour and four minutes earlier than I said I was going to. I know it's a little late, but you know what? You got two choices. You can whine about it or you can praise God. Have a great afternoon. We'll see you. Hi, good morning. This is Kelly. I want to take a moment to personally thank you for joining us for today's live stream. I hope today's message was encouraging and inspiring for you. You know what? We would love to hear from you. If you're here today and you made a decision for Christ, or maybe you just have a simple prayer request, we would love to know about that. You can text the word prayer to 615-776-1807. One of her pastors will be back in touch with you. Hey, if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to see you in person. You can join us for life groups at 9 a.m. or blended worship at 10 a.m. Let me say this, from your youngest family member to your family member that has the most years of life experience, we have a place for you. You know, I believe that we're living in unprecedented times. People all around us are looking for sources of hope. And you and I, we both know where that hope is found. We have a God who loves us and he wants to meet us right where we are. But you know what? He loves us too much to keep us there. So come and join us, whether online or in person. We would love to shake your hand, give you a smile, and do life with you here at Sunset Hills. Have a great week, everybody.